Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart people who love dumb stuff. You're joined as always by Melbourne journalist Sarah McDonald, that would be you, and Michelle Andrews, that would be me. Hello. Hello. Happy Sunday morning or Monday if you're listening to this now. Coming up on today's show, it's a little bit more explicit and a little bit steamier than what we're used to. First off, we have the music video for The WAP, that's the W-A-P, the new single from powerhouses Cardi B and Megan the Stallion. It is so sexual it just broke the internet. Plus what Bachelor in Paradise's Tim and Kieran tell us about male possessiveness over women and the anti-wrinkle, anti-aging, totally baffling vagina masks that one Australian model wants you to buy. But first, Zara McDonald, how was your week? I've got to say, just listening to that, it does seem like kind of a sexy app we've got lined up. So steamy and raunchy, which isn't very us. Normally we're <laughs> like, we're not prudish, but we tend to blush a lot. So I'm I'm gearing myself up to talk about vaginas a lot today. We are prudish. I love how you say we're not prudish. I think we are. <laughs> we're not sexy. Or very cool. We're quite prudish. And I think that anyone who's listened to this podcast for more than about three episodes would be able to know that. How was my week? Look, given Victoria is now in stage four lockdown, or I should say Melbourne is now in stage four lockdown, you notice there is a significant less amount of things you can do. Like you really can't leave the house. And I know I wasn't leaving much beforehand, Mish, but you really notice when you can only go for a one-hour walk, you're very housebound. It's so grim. It's a strange existence. I was saying to you actually before we jumped on this recording that I don't leave the house if it's raining. So I've been home. It's been raining in Melbourne. So I've just been at home like kind of wearing the one outfit 24-7, which is like the shameless charity merch jumper, which I just live in now watching Netflix and like just kind of wasting away on the couch. So fingers crossed we get some sunshine and we can actually get out of the house soon. Well, I noticed it last week as well. I didn't get out for my one hour of exercise for like four days in a row. My housemate's <laughs> like, you need to leave. You can't. It's not like you can bank up the hours and then leave for five it's hours so on the Friday. Otherwise, I listened to a few good podcasts this week. Look, I understand that I might be seeming a little predictable in my recommendations, but I promise you next week... I will not recommend an episode of The Daily, that I promise to you. But I really want to recommend this episode of The Daily from this week. It is called The Day That Shook Beirut. As we all know by now, there was a horrendous and very tragic explosion in the city of Beirut last week. 
and it basically has brought the city to its knees and the city was already on its knees both Mm. economically and Mm. in the middle of a pandemic. So what the New York Times did is they had a reporter on the ground who lives in Beirut and her name is Vivian Yee. She was caught in the blast, her apartment windows and door was blown out. And I feel like what she's done is from the minute this has happened, after she's been stitched up because she was quite injured, she's got on her phone and her mic and started recording the events of her day and the next day and it's all very much in real time. So it's incredible reporting from her given it seems like quite a traumatic place to be right now after quite a traumatic event. But her storytelling is so searing. And I think for a lot of people who feel just completely overwhelmed by the news cycle right now, because there's a lot going on, but still really want to learn about what's happened in Beirut, I reckon this is the best place to start. Yeah, totally. I think as well, there are some really powerful TikToks. There was this one TikTok that I saw uh, on Friday night. It had millions of likes and tens of millions of views on it. It was from a young teenage girl who was kind of taking the video, you know, how before the big blast there was a lot of smoke in the air and it looked like there was a fire she was taking a video of that and she actually videoed when the blast happened and seeing her face and seeing her shock and her kind of try to mentally process what had just happened was such interesting footage it's such an interesting time we're living in that we do catch these moments because people live so much through their phones and they document everything and it's almost second nature particularly to young people we get insight into a little bit of what it's like in Beirut right now so we are sending love to any listener who might have family or might be in Beirut right now we are thinking of you and we are sending absolutely all of our love and isn't it kind of incredible Mish that TikTok, which is such a kind of often frivolous or funny or silly social media platform, can also expose us to really important, thoughtful content too. Like it's just, I know it seems like kind of an obvious point, but it's so incredibly 2020, isn't it? Yeah. Well, this is also another tangent, but Kellyanne Conway's daughter is on TikTok and posts very political things that are anti-Kellyanne Conway. She's very much a Democrat and very, very politically progressive. So you're right. I think there's a lot of education happening on that platform now. And as much as I am concerned about the discussions going on with TikTok, it does serve a really powerful function for a lot of young people. For sure. Tell me, how was your week? My week was the same as yours. There's really not all that much to report. I do have a recommendation though. I think you may have mentioned this over a year ago on the podcast, or maybe I'm confusing you for someone else. Were you the one who told me to watch Three Identical Strangers on Netflix? The documentary? Yes. I watched this yeah, I reckon more than a year ago. I think I watched it on a plane last year in June. Yes. So I am late to the party, of course, but there's no shame in the late game because I'm late to everything. But I clicked on this because it was high in my Netflix feed. And I knew roughly that it was about three identical twins being separated at birth and then finding each other again. And that's not really a spoiler because that's not exactly the twist that comes. You find all of that out in the first half hour. And I knew it was going to get dark and I knew there was this, I guess, fork in the road coming where everything took a different turn, but I did not expect it to be the twist that it was. And it was very, very powerful. I actually watched it with my boyfriend and we kind of turned to each other and said, wow, I think this shows a lot about science, a lot about psychology, a lot about respecting people and their lives and their humanity, but also a lot about parenting and how important it is to raise your children in a loving and nourishing household. Do you have many memories of watching that doco? I mean, it's really funny because my boyfriend said to me the other day that he really wanted to watch it. 
and I said to him, oh, I've already watched it and almost gave away the spoiler because I forgot what the spoiler <laughs> was. You know when you've watched something and you forget what the surprising aspect is? But I remember thinking quite similarly to you. I know when we interview a lot of people throughout In Conversation series, one of our favourite questions is particularly to people who have had pretty incredible lives, do you think it's nature or nurture? Like, were you born this way or was it the environment that you grew up in that made you you? And I think when you're watching a documentary like this one where you've got three identical siblings who grew up in completely different contexts and ways, you learn that nurture has so much to answer for. So I I will re-recommend that for you if you like <laughs> as well. I'll back up your recommendation because it's a really, really good, it's a really, really good documentary. I think it's on trending now because I don't think it was on Netflix. I think it's only oh, Netflix. That's why it's popped go. up again. There you go. Well, definitely go watch it. It's an easy watch. I think it's about two hours long, but it's worth it. And I think it will make you think long after you click out of Netflix. It's certainly done that for me. Zara, it is time to throw to our shameless hotline. Of course, a reminder for everyone, call our hotline if you have thoughts on this episode or the Thursday episode or book club, whatever you like, and you might be featured on the show. Today, we have two listeners that we want to throw to. The first one is Nat. Hey, my name's Nat. I wanted to say thank you for raising the topic of Wiley's anti-Semitic posts on the podcast. I'm a young Jewish woman and I'm a descendant of Holocaust survivors. While I definitely benefit from white privilege, I'm always aware and often reminded that I'll never be white enough and that my whiteness will not protect me from the hate that comes from anti-Semitism. I've been seeing a lot of anti-Semitism lately and the scariest part has been when myself or other Jews have raised concern. People in both left and right-wing circles have not believed us. Thank you for not looking away on this and so many other issues. You made me feel seen and you made me feel a little bit safer. Mish, I'm really glad Nat called in to our hotline this week because I think it was a message that we had received from a lot of our Jewish listeners in the days leading up to us talking about Wiley's tweets. I think there are a lot of our Jewish listeners who feel exactly as Nat does, that anti-Semitism sort of doesn't demand as many conversations anymore and that people don't take it as seriously. And I think it's something that is important for all of us to hear. Yeah. And as a white person who is an atheist, I can't imagine as well how frustrating it must be to feel like you were screaming about something that's really important to you and you are pointing to something that's really damaging and feeling like no one's listening and no one's hearing you. So Nat and to all our Jewish listeners, we're really glad that you enjoyed that segment last week. And we're really sorry that you had to read about it in the mainstream media. I can't imagine how traumatizing that would be to see your culture spoken about in that light and to have those kind of ideas platformed. Zara, the next listener we are throwing to is listener Stacy. Now, this one's a bit of a random one. We didn't talk about this in last week's episode, but Stacy wants to talk about being in lockdown when you are single. Hi, girls. I really appreciated your post on Insta earlier, validating the feelings of us Melbournians going into stage four lockdown. It's so important right now, and I just wanted to offer my perspective as a single person going through all of this. A question I've been asking myself all afternoon is whether my mental health is worth less as a single person. With each announcement of changing restrictions come cries from my coupled up friends of whether they'll be able to see their partners. They exclaim this in anguish as if those of us who aren't in personal intimate relationships haven't seen anyone outside our household except the supermarket attendant in weeks. And they get told they get an exemption from restrictions for mental health reasons. This begs the question, does the government simply value the mental health of those who are single less? This exemption ignores those that may be vulnerable mentally, yet single, and perpetuates the shadow, underreported pandemic of suicides. Compassionate friends should be allowed if partner exemptions are allowed. 
Big thanks to you shameless girls, though, for being a big part of getting me through this isolation. So, Mish, I know that not all of our listeners are in Melbourne. In fact, quite quite a few aren't in Melbourne. But I think this is quite a relatable voicemail for a lot of people who have, have been in lockdown before. I mean, we know that every Australian city has been in some form of lockdown over the last three to four or five months. And I think she raised a really, really important point. And to be honest, embarrassingly, probably one I haven't thought about as much. I don't live with my partner, so I obviously have been watching the news to see what lockdown would look for us. And I guess that's been my single focus for a lot of the press conferences and a lot of the new restrictions being announced. But she raises a really, really crucial point. And I do have quite a a lot of friends and family who live alone. And I cannot, I cannot fathom what this experience has been like for them and what it continues to be like for them. And I think a huge shout out right now to anyone who might be listening to this at home by themselves, who might be living and working in the same space by themselves. Lockdown is not the same experience for everyone across the board and um, our thoughts are with you, absolutely. Yeah, and I think it raises a really interesting and important question that say you are single or say you're asexual, does that mean that romantic relationships will always be on a higher plane than your platonic friendships or your familial relationships? The current rules do suggest that if you're in a romantic relationship, then that automatically means more than your relationship with your mum or your sister or your cousin or your friend. And I think that's something we do need to examine because it does tell single people that maybe they're not worth the same. Yeah, or at the very least, just acknowledge it. I mean, the unfortunate, silly reality right now is that a line has to be drawn somewhere, right? Like in order for contact tracing Mm. to work and for us to actually you know, make progress when it comes to living in these restrictions and getting these numbers down, a line does have to be drawn. And the thing Mm. that's shit about a line being drawn is that there are always people that fall on the wrong side of it. I I am interested in the argument, what if a single person and another single person entered into a kind of like compassionate relationship where they only kind of saw each other, which would be similar to a romantic couple kind of only going between each other's houses. That's an interesting argument and that's an interesting thought for mine. But I guess the shit part about this pandemic again is that decisions are being made so quickly and so rushed almost because they have to. I mean, this thing's moving so fast. And like I said, someone's always going to fall on the wrong side of it. And that doesn't make it fair. And that doesn't make it right. And we just wanted to say that our thoughts are with anyone by themselves right now. Totally. We are thinking of you. And hopefully, I know that podcasts make me feel seen and make me feel like I have a bit of company. So hopefully podcasts are doing that for you right now. Zara, it's time to get on to the first segment of today's episode. We are talking about the WAP from Cardi B and Megan The Stallion. The WAP, for anyone wondering, is an acronym for wet ass pussy, which makes me blush. I'm no so end. glad. <laughs> I'm so glad you did that. Oh I'm glad it was you and not me. Is your mum listening? My mum is probably listening, but you know who's definitely listening? My dad and my nanny. So shout out to both of them. <laughs> my favourite little tidbit about this song before we get any further is that YouTube didn't let Cardi B and Megan The Stallion say wet ass pussy on their channel. And they, this this lyric is not like one throwaway lyric in the song. I think it's probably mentioned upwards of 20 or 30 times. YouTube made them change it to wet ass gushy. Yeah. I, do you know how long it took me to realize that? I was like watching the video, <laughs> looked at the title and I was like, all right, WAP definitely stands for wet ass pussy. And then they're singing wet ass gushy. And I'm like, oh my God, I've missed something. Like I've absolutely missed something. Clearly I did. YouTube standards, though I'm not surprised at all. So for those who did did miss it. Cardi B and Megan The Stallion released this incredible 
incredible video clip for Cardi B's latest single. It is absolutely insane, isn't it, Mish? And the song itself is so catchy. I heard the song once and I was singing it around my house after that. And that never happens to me. It usually takes me a few goes on a song to be singing it. But I was really into it. I am singing it all around the house. And I'm the same as you. It took me one listen. And then I was walking around the house saying wet ass pussy or wet ass gushy a million different times. I do love the way that Vulture, I guess, crystallized exactly what's happening in this music video and with this collaboration. They wrote the high-profile collaboration between two of the biggest rappers in the game produced not only a truly illicit song, but an instantly iconic video filled with whimsically Susian visuals, looks that kill, multiple splits, and even a snake pit. Zara, this to me is like a pop culture celebrity explosion. Because not only do you have two of the most influential women in music right now singing some of the most sexually explicit lyrics we have ever heard, dressed by some of the world's leading and most influential designers and stylists, surrounded by the world's biggest names like Kylie Jenner and Normani, and then they're kind of writhing around with cheetahs and tigers and snakes and just... A lot's going on. It's an incredible spectacle, to be honest. Like, it's an incredible thing to watch because I spent a lot of the time watching it wondering how this was all put together. Like, it was really, really well put together. According to Chart Data Mish, it garnered the biggest debut for an all-female collaboration in YouTube history, and that's even with wet ass gushy as the main lyric, which wasn't even the real <laughs> lyric. My favourite part about, actually not my favourite part, I have like so many favourite parts about this story, <laughs> but one of my favourite parts is reading the news coverage of it and like these very probably like clenched up journalists having to write their kind of news articles about it. Perth Now led with the title, Rappers Cardi B and Megan The Stallion Shock in latest music video. <laughs> Don't you think it just sounds like, even though it's not boomers writing this, it sounds like a boomer reaction. Also the word shock. I am kind of interested in how news publications have been like, oh my God, Megan The Stallion and Cardi B shock. Do you think the concept of shock is almost exclusively reserved for women in this kind of context? Like this idea that they are deliberately provocative or trying to cause a stir? Because it made me think of when... Robin Thicke wrote a song called Blurred Fucking Lines <laughs> and had some pretty sexy stuff in his music video. And we'd never describe him as someone designing a music video to shock. Yeah, I agree with you. I think there is something in that. But I think that shock can also be something really positive, right? I think yeah, the shock sure. comes from us being used to hearing male rappers talk about women's bodies in this way and talk about female sexual experience in this way. We're not used to women driving that narrative forward. And I think. Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion have flipped a switch. Sure, they're not the first to do it. I think it's really important to say that there have been sex positive rappers for about two decades now. Lil Kim was really important in being a sex positive female rapper. But I do think these lyrics are so explicit and now they are so mainstream that it really does present an interesting time in music culture that this is kind of the new normal, that women have been spoken about this way for a long time, but we've only ever heard it really, really in a mainstream way from the mouths of men. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that completely. I found this line from The Sun really funny, Mish. The article read, Cardi B rocked a raunchy leopard print outfit with breast cutouts and nipple tassels while <laughs> While Megan, who recently survived gunshot wounds to her feet, shocked viewers as she twerked and did a split in a thong bodysuit. <laughs> There's that word shock again, and it reminds me of like nanas clutching their pearls being shocked about this. Regardless, I just, I really loved the clip. I can't remember a time where women, particularly black women, were given a stage like this 
in a setting where they just demand all the power. Yeah, well, I wonder if it's given a stage or if now we're living in an era where black women can finally make the stage for themselves. I think maybe Lil' Kim was not as mainstream as she could have been because back then there were so many white gatekeepers to allowing women of colour to have this kind of platform and this kind of reach. I think Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion are so influential and so huge on platforms like Twitter and Instagram. They have cultivated this platform for themselves and I think there's a lot of power in that. I do want to touch on when you said it feels like a whole bunch of nanas clutching their pearls. I think it's a bunch of grandpas clutching their pearls <laughs> as well. This quote from James P. Bradley. He is a Republican congressional candidate who's looking to replace California's Ted Lieu. He said that Cardi B and Megan the Stallion are, and I quote, what happens when children are raised without God and a strong father figure. He went on to say that he had watched the WAP music video, but had only done so accidentally and it made him want to pour holy water in his ears. I loved this so much because it felt like the most religious way of saying that Cardi B and Megan the Stallion have daddy issues. Yeah. <laughs> like, except he wanted to say that he they were raised without God and without a, a strong father figure. And also, I watched it accidentally. Look, ooh, I just stumbled upon this and it started playing by like <laughs> by an act of God. I had no say in the matter. And you can imagine him like crossing his eyes, being like, my eyes, my ears. <laughs> Cardi B saw this and saw that some Republican conservative politicians were calling for it to be banned. And she just retweeted it with the tweet, this is kind of iconic and I'm living for it in capital letters. All right. What we do need to do though is obviously we need to talk about Kylie Jenner's cameo. Oh, people are really angry. It's not my place, obviously. I think I think a lot of black women are very angry at Kylie Jenner. They feel like she has not only appropriated their culture, but also profited off black businesses and disadvantaged black businesses along the way. So I was surprised to see the intensity of the fallout and the backlash to Kylie Jenner's involvement. But after doing a bit of reading, it does all kind of make sense. It makes heaps of sense. I think that there was a lot of commentary on Twitter saying this was like the perfect opportunity for a clip to celebrate black excellence. And then you've got like this very extreme cameo from Kylie Jenner where the whole music video basically goes silent to watch her strut down a hallway. And people, as you say, were mad about that because she has been accused of blackfishing and appropriating black culture in the past. A Change.org petition has started and it's got nearly 60,000 signatures at the time we're recording. So there are a lot of people not just mad but wanting change too. They want to cut out. But also... Isn't it a little bit like it's up to Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion at the end of the day? Like they get to choose what creative license they want to take. They clearly wanted her in the clip. And also they're kind of geniuses for putting her in because we're all talking about it. It made the video so much more mainstream. Whether or not it was going to be controversial, maybe they already knew that it would be. And that was the entire point. It would get people talking about the video. Yeah, I think that's completely true. I guess the other thought I had separate to all of this was like, God, a Kardashian manages to insert themselves in a lot of big pop culture <laughs> moments. And I know that that maybe often makes it a big pop culture moment, but part of me was like, can't you just get the fuck out of here and just leave this to Megan the Stallion and Cardi B? Before we move on, Mish, I did want to touch on a point made by Michael Wood in his LA Times review of the video clip. And he pointed to a Twitter user called Be More Beloved, who took issue with the internet's outsized reaction to the WAP video, pointing out that Rick Ross and 2 Chains rapped explicitly about sex without causing anywhere near of a stir. And obviously, this Twitter user kind of was making the point that I made earlier, or tried to make earlier, which was why are we reacting in such an extreme way to these two women doing what men have done forever? And Michael Wood wrote, 
Her question is a good one, of course. It gets at the gendered expectations we have of artists. But as fun as the Ross Chains drill was, I'd argue that this Twitter user is underestimating the vibrancy of this particular female duet in relation to this particular male battle. In other words, WAP turned more heads because it's a much better piece of art. And it is a piece of art. It's an incredible piece of art. And I wonder at the end of the day, that's why we're all so obsessed with it. Thank you, next bitch. And now it is time for the quick and dirty. Every week we bring you the top five stories from the rough and tumble of the celebrity news cycle. Zara McDonald, my wonderful friend, what have you got for me today? Hello. My first story, US Bachelorette producers were shocked when Claire Crawley wanted to leave the show less than two weeks in. That is from Us Weekly. Did you see this juicy, juicy story around? You sent it to me. You were continually bombarding me with text messages. And I've got to say, initially, when I hear the words US and Bachelorette back to back, my brain goes, don't give a fuck. But you convinced me to give a fuck because this is quite a decent celebrity news story. In fairness to you, I originally didn't give a fuck until my sister started bombarding me with messages. <laughs> so I just kind of repaid the favour onto you or paid it forward, should I say. But for those who are not across this story... Basically, what happened is in March, the US Bachelorette announced their latest Bachelorette, which was a woman by the name of Claire Crawley. It was obviously a really difficult time after that to get filming off the ground because of this pandemic we're finding ourselves in the middle of. So what the producers had to do is they took some time to have to quarantine contestants. There were rumours that they needed heaps more bachelors in case someone fell victim to coronavirus. And what the reports are this week is that within two weeks of filming, The Bachelorette, Claire Crawley, left, left the show, picked a guy and said, I've already fallen in love, I don't need to be here anymore. Does dear Claire not understand how The Bachelorette works? Like, we get it. Most people who go on this show reveal later on, once they've found the love of their life, that yes, they knew very, very early into filming exactly who they were going to be picking. Why does Claire leave two weeks in? It's such an odd decision that it makes me smell a bit of a rat and it makes me think that maybe this is a setup by the US Bachelorette to add a little bit of spice to what is a slowly decaying franchise. I have to agree with you, my little pop culture nerd. I think you're right. I think it's such an odd story. She was there for 12 days. The reports are too that she may be engaged to her guy, whose name I should actually know, but her I'm, dude. You know, her dude, her man, her man. <laughs> there are reports that she is engaged. So I, I, it did get me thinking. I mean, the contracts in this kind of show would be so tight. I remember hearing a podcast episode with a LA Times writer called Amy Kaufman about a year or two ago. And she wrote a book called Bachelor Nation and she wrote Mm. about the ins and outs of the show and how tight these contracts are. Basically, you sign your entire life away. So it's really surprising to me that someone like Claire Crowley would be able to break her contract without the permission of production. Like maybe she went to them and said, I've already picked. What would you think about me leaving? And they thought, you know what, maybe this is a really juicy way to spice up the season by getting in another bachelorette and having that bachelorette deal with all the rejects. So that's what they're doing, right? They quickly found another backup bachelorette. She came in and got the same batch of guys that Claire Crowley got. That's what the reports are saying. It's unconfirmed. So the bachelorette (laughs) producers have not confirmed if there was an understudy bachelorette waiting in the wings. But people have been flown to the set to keep production going. So God knows what's happening. There's also reports that it's changed into another season entirely, like a different kind of bachelor show. 
I don't really understand what's going on. And my overriding thought is that while Claire Crawley is copping a heap on social media at the moment, I think a lot of people are telling her that she's disrespecting the tradition of the franchise, I think she'll probably get a good edit. I think that they'll paint this as the ultimate love story because that's what The Bachelor and The Bachelorette loves to do. Oh, my God, that's the thing. I don't think her reputation will struggle for very long. Like once this actually starts going to air and the public can see how much Claire has fallen in love with her chosen suitor, all the negative publicity will end. Like this is why I think it's all a setup. It's a great look to be like, I'm so wholesome. I don't want to wait until we can be together forever. It's like a great look all round. Nice work. Watch this space, everyone. We will keep you updated. Story number two, Caroline Flack died by suicide amid fears of prosecution. The coroner rules that is from CNN. Yeah, and such a sad story. If you missed our episode on this in February, Caroline Flack was the UK host of Love Island. It is the biggest reality show in the United Kingdom. She died while awaiting trial for alleged assault against her boyfriend. Now, this loss, this tragic loss, set up a very intense debate locally for British people about press standards, social media abuse, and how they can better safeguard celebrities and reality TV stars from this kind of intense scrutiny and from this tragic, tragic loss. Yeah, and intense scrutiny even when it's maybe of their own making. Uh, Coroner Mary Hassel said on Thursday that the way the case played out in the national press was incredibly difficult for her and that Flack did fear for the loss of her career. Although her general fluctuating mental state was a background and important in her death, she said, I find the reason for her taking her life was she now knew she was being prosecuted for certainty and she knew she would face the media, press, publicity. It would all come down upon her. I mean, Mish, we know that the British press and the British talent tabloids are some of the most vicious and aggressive in the world. I can't imagine what it would be like being the subject of all of that, even when the allegations levelled at you are pretty terrible. Yeah, that's right. And unfortunately, I don't see anything in the UK changing anytime soon. I mean, the UK press has been notorious for completely disregarding the welfare of the people that they are talking about, the people that they are writing about and the people they're covering. And that's been since Princess Diana's death in the 90s. So I don't see it changing anytime soon, which is really sad. It is really sad. Story number three. Gwyneth Paltrow opens up about conscious uncoupling from Chris Martin. That is from news.com. I really loved this story this week, Mish. Did you see it around? I loved it too. I mean, conscious uncoupling was just rocketed into the zeitgeist for so many years. I'm happy she's finally addressed that bizarre, bizarre term. Yeah, so she wrote for British Vogue September issue that when her and her former husband, Chris Martin, decided to separate, they were kind of really struggling with how they were going to communicate this to the world. They were also struggling kind of with their own internal issues about this sense of failure, and that's in kind of quotation marks, that comes with the end of the marriage. And she said that they were in a meeting with their couples therapist and the couples therapist throughout this term conscious and coupling and they fell in love with it because it kind of represented what they wanted to be apart as a couple but together as a family but she did admit I had never heard of the phrase conscious uncoupling frankly the term sounded a bit full of itself painfully progressive and hard to swallow which I thought was kind of funny because I feel like that's how most of us considered the term conscious uncoupling painfully progressive and hard to swallow yeah painfully progressive to the point of like major eye rolls all round that said I am happy that we're now having public discourse about relationship breakdowns not being akin to failure I think there is some really beautiful writing around at the moment and some really powerful divorce and breakup announcements that speak of those relationships that didn't work 
work out as a success. Like a relationship is successful if you grew from it and you have happy memories together and you stuck together for years and you considered that person your person for a time. I absolutely consider that a success. And I think it's such a shame that for so long, we disregarded some really incredible marriages like this one that gave them children and gave them so many happy memories and a family as failing. I think it's quite the opposite. Conscious uncoupling though, you know what? I'll put my hand up. I'm more than fine with that term now. I think it's completely normalized now that I'm kind of okay with it too. (laughs) Who would have thought? Story number four, Michelle. Bachelorette Angie Kent makes Mean Girls Dig at Bachelor in Paradise star Kieran Stott. That is from Perth now. What a story. What a story. If you missed this, before we get into why these comments were made, we'll give you the background. Obviously, Angie Kent was our 2019 Bachelorette. She commented on a Bachelor meme. Source unknown because the comments have now been deleted, I believe. But she basically commented on a meme implying that Kieran Stott and Tim Hanley, who are two men who did very, very well in her season last year, were lying their way through the show. She accused them of being excellent pretend daters and manipulators. And then specifically on a meme about Kieran Stott. So Zara, it was a Mean Girls meme, right? You know that Mm -hmm. scene in Mean Girls where Tina Fey's character, Ms. Norbury, gets up and says, who here has been personally victimized by Regina George? You know that scene? Sure do. So they repurposed that to be who here has been personally victimized by Kieran Stott. Angie Kent commented, she doesn't even go here. Sorry, Straya. If I knew sooner, I would have sent him and his hype man home second episode when I sent old mate politician home because no one fucks with my sisterhood. Then she added, sorry that at some point we were all victimized by Regina George. Yeah, that's pretty good stuff by Angie Kent. She did delete it pretty quickly, but, you know, <laughs> screenshotting sleuths were too quick. I am really interested in the re-kind of casting of Tim Hanley and Kieran Stott, not as these dream guys that were kind of painted on the first season that they appeared in The Bachelorette, but as guys that have pretty sexist comments and pretty sexist tendencies. And it made me realise, Mish, that if any Bachelor contestant gets a good edit on the show – fuck off. Don't go back Don't on the show. Back. Do not come Absolutely. back because you cannot guarantee that you'll get the same edit again. But it's clear that Tim Hanley and Kieran Stott aren't the angels we thought they were. I agree. I think the Bachelor in Paradise arm of the franchise is great to redeem yourself. If you're someone who was given a villain edit, it's good to come back and kind of correct that. And I think Alicia Aiken-Radburn has been a living example of that, that on her season of The Bachelor, she was renowned as the villain. And yet over two seasons of Bachelor in Paradise, she has completely and utterly turned that around to be adored by the vast majority of viewers. However, with Tim and Kieran, they have completely dragged their reputation through the mud. They look so much worse now than what they did going into the season. Going into this year, everyone was regarding them as the lovable Aussie larrikins that you want your girlfriend to date. Now they seem like men who consider women possessions and they state claim on any woman they've slept with as if she is now theirs and any subsequent man who wants to date her basically needs to hand over a permission slip and get it signed. Yeah, and I think it's one of the sadder aspects of this season, seeing men that we kind of heralded for a time come out and expose themselves for having kind of attitudes and beliefs we definitely don't agree with. That said, one of the silver linings of this season has been kind of the camaraderie around the women, women like Kiki and Renee and Alicia, as you say, and come together and being the absolute stars of the season. Also someone like Angie Kent pulling together with her sisterhood. So it's nice to see the women pushing back and taking absolutely no shit. 
Another thing I want to add is that I was kind of frustrated to see Tim Hanley go on his Instagram account early last week and issue a sort of kind of not really apology. So he got on and he basically said, I'm really sorry my behavior has offended anyone. I'm just a kid. I would never, ever disrespect a woman. I've never disrespected a woman in my life. And I found that to be such an interesting dissonance because we had a man apologize, then say he'd never disrespected women ever when we've seen that play out and we know that he has. And it made me think a lot, do some disrespectful men or men who have problematic attitudes towards women and towards sexism simply not know what disrespecting women actually looks like in real time. Absolutely. I think they absolutely don't know what it looks like. It reminded me a lot of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's speech the other week that everybody's been talking about, where she said, just because you have a daughter, just because you have a wife, just because you have female friends doesn't mean you automatically know, love and respect women. Like, that's not a free pass. And I thought that too when it came to to Tim's video. I don't think people like him and Kieran knows what it looks like clearly to disrespect women because they end up kind of throwing their hands up in the air and being like, are you crazy? I am so honest. I respect women all the time. It can't be me. Like they're so shocked by the allegation that they might not, which is kind of terrifying when you think about it, if there's a whole host of men out there who don't know what it looks like to disrespect women. And my last story. So that's her secret. Pia Miller is seen leaving an exclusive IRA salon in Sydney's eastern suburbs after moving into her new $7.8 million home. That is the Daily Mail. Why? Why have you brought this to me? I don't know. What, what do I care about in this headline? Pia Nothing. Miller is in leaving exclusive eyebrow salon. That's the point. It's a meaningless <laughs> story and I don't understand why this is news. And I just frankly couldn't find a fifth story and thought this was kind of a stupid one. I am intrigued as to why a story like this makes news. Like, do the Daily Mail have pap photos of Pia Miller that they just want to create a story about? Like, I don't I don't get it. Mm. Yeah, look, I'm... Not so much I love how you're trying to that. pretend to care. I really don't care. The only thing that has suddenly dawned on me is what the fuck are Australian paparazzi doing? Like in the midst of coronavirus, we've had a whole bunch of discussion around the industries that aren't faring too well. I don't think old mate paparazzi are doing all that great given there's no events on, socialites aren't really out and about and everyone's stuck in their homes. How the hell are they going to sell sexist photos of unsuspecting women walking to the supermarket anymore? Well, I think you just stalk them as they enter an exclusive eyebrow salon, Michelle Andrews. My favourite line from this story was, it is unclear what treatments Pia indulged in on the day. It's like, well, no fucking shit. Did you go over there? You didn't run over there and put a mic in front of her face and say, did you get a thread doll or did you get an eyelash extension? Anyway, that's all for my quick and dirty. That is the dumbest story I've ever read. Thank you so much. Coming up after the break, the Jacial masks. Are they actually advancing feminism or do they do the complete opposite? But first, a word from today's sponsor. Mish, let's talk vagina masks. And no, we're not talking about COVID face masks with a vagina print on them. We're talking sheet masks for your vulva. Yep, this week, model and businesswoman Lindy Rama Ellis launched her latest venture, a brand called Fig Femme, an intimate wellness company that currently has one product on the market, a sheet mask for your vulva, which offers assistance with texture, blemishes and rough skin caused by hair removal and ageing. Yes, ageing on the vagina. So how did we get here? And can a brand selling sheet masks for the vagina really hide behind the messages of self-care and empowerment to push their product? Michelle Elizabeth, fine-footed Andrews, what you think? 
I think Deep it's one of the more baffling things I've read in a long, long time. And I think, first of all, we need to touch base on how this all started, Zara, how we first came across this story and that we were kind of sent a bit of a PR release about Lindy releasing a new line. And that was all it said, basically being like, are you guys interested in Lindy's new line? And we're like, oh, well, we guess like we're going to raise an eyebrow at it. Like, what is her new line? I thought it was going to be like a fashion line or swimwear or a perfume or something. I did not think vagina facial masks or v- vagifacial masks, I think they're calling it's it. It's not a it facial mask. Your vagina doesn't have a little face on it. That's how they're treating it, yeah. though. Like they're talking about wrinkles and rejuvenation. They're basically treating your vulva like it is your nose or something. For those who don't know who Lindy Rama Ellis is, you might know her by the name Lindy Klim, which is the name she had when she was married to high-profile Australian swimmer Michael Klim. They both had the line milk together as well. She's a model and she lives in Bali. She's actually a Balinese princess too. So she has launched these vaginal masks, Mish. And the first thought that I had was a very innocent one and it was I don't understand where the mask kind of goes or how it stays there because I genuinely struggle with gravity. I struggle with gravity enough when I have a face mask on my face, let alone something on my (laughs) vagina. Do you have to lie down? Yes. I'm imagining you'd have to be like, you know, when women are trying to get pregnant. So after they have sex, they do that thing where they put their legs in the air. I am not saying, by the way, to any like doctors who listen to this podcast, I'm not saying that works. I just see it in movies and television shows and like friends when Phoebe wanted to get pregnant with her brother's baby, (laughs) the triplet. Um, I'm imagining to wear a vagifacial mask, you would have to be lying on the ground with your feet up against your bed rest or something, right? Like no one's walking around with these things inside their underwear going about their day and like buying milk from Woolies. No, no, you have to be lying down, Lindy says, or the Fick Femme brand says. You have to be lying down. What my confusion is, God, we're really going to get it deep here, but why not keep going? When I wear a face mask and I usually wear um, those go-to ones that are like got a lot of serum on them, right? When you're popping that on your vagina, oh, my God, it would be freezing, first and foremost, because it's freezing on the... It would be so cold. Secondly, does the serum kind of, if you're lying on the bed, does the serum kind of, like, seep into the sheets? I don't know. I don't mean to be crude, but I'm just interested, first and foremost, at the logistics. Okay, I don't want to know anything about the logistics. The only thing I know is that when I read the website, it did suggest that you can put them in the freezer before you put them on. So to your cult, my entire body feels like it's shriveling up right now. (laughs) So does mine. That is so fucked. All right, so Lindy did appear on the morning show on Channel 7 to talk about the launch of the product. And she said on the show, with the amount of waxing and lasering that goes on, that area is very delicate. So I've developed a product for that. It's a sheet mask that you just put on top like you would your face. You can just lay down, have a glass of wine and do some meditation and take good care of that part of your body. I want to focus on her next quote, Mish, because she said, as a mother of three girls, she wanted to get the conversation happening. I don't want them to ever feel ashamed or embarrassed about that part of their bodies. I know we've kind of joked around about this mask to start, but this quote in particular was really interesting to me because does creating a sheet mask stem shame or breed shame? Because I would say it breeds shame by posing a solution to a problem none of us knew we had. Exactly. I totally agree with that. I think if you're encouraging conversations about that area of the body, personally, I think it's more productive to have conversations about things like vaginismus and endometriosis. And I don't need to tell you that, someone who has both conditions, that I feel like that is the great taboo in that female health is at risk because we 
feel shame about this part of our body and we feel like we've never been able to speak about it properly. So if we're going to be talking about legitimate health conditions, then I agree. Let's talk about endo. Let's talk about the host of issues that women have that often go undiagnosed and untalked about and under-researched. If we're talking about making your vagina smell better or making it more moisturized or less wrinkly, then no, I completely disagree. If anything, I think you're putting ridiculous beauty standards onto young girls and young women. I completely disagree that we need to be putting on vagina facial masks or vagational masks three times a week. And by Lindy's calculations, so she sells these masks for $25 at the moment, that's $75 a week if I'm putting this on myself three times a week. That's $300 a month. That is more than my internet and my phone bill combined. I was just about to say that. It's so much more than that. my phone bill. And I think if we're talking about empowerment and self-care, which is a huge line of the branding through this company, shouldn't we be talking about how much this is putting women back? Shouldn't we be talking about how much it's financially costing them and it's costing them when it comes to their self-confidence? I want to talk about the messaging that's threaded through this product and through this company. Because in a statement to Yahoo!, The company said our masks were designed and created with the aim to inspire women to feel empowered and to own this part of their body that they had potentially ignored and neglected till now. Our Fig Femme masks and further products to be released are intended just for the woman to use as part of a personal self-care routine. We feel this is the purest form of self-care because unlike our hair, face, nails and other external body parts, which everyone sees, the vulva is really just for you. It's a time where you can connect with yourself as a female and as a woman. There are a few things I I want to touch on with this statement. I was about Firstly, to say, I'm like, I want to jump in. <laughs> it's a pretty exclusionary statement to non-binary women making the assumption that to connect with yourself, the only way to connect with yourself as a female and as a woman, you need to have a vulva. Secondly, I would genuinely love someone to connect the dots for me here. How does this empower me? What does this do to make me a stronger, more powerful woman? And thirdly, what's with the blatant assertion that this part of my body has been neglected? Yeah, well, what's with the blatant assertion that this part is just for you in the first place and that, no, I would argue that beautifying and making your vulva immaculate and smell-free and wrinkle-free is not for you. It's probably, if you're a straight woman, serving the male partner you're sleeping with who is exclusively watching porn and seeing immaculate Barbie doll vaginas in porn. I just completely flatly reject that this is by women for women. I think this is by women appeasing men. Yeah, that's pretty bang on. I think it's it's a product for the male gaze. And I don't like now that it's been spun as a product that's for self-care. I think when it comes to self-care too, Mish, I have never been more passionate than right now about redirecting our conversation and our discourse about what it means to look after yourself. I mean, Melbourne's in one of the toughest lockdowns in the entire world. I think Melbourne might be in one of the longest lockdowns in the entire world by the time this is over. We're in the middle of a pandemic and we will very likely have a huge mental health epidemic at the end of it. And we need to be so bloody careful about how we talk about looking after ourselves. Because like, yes, this might be a fun way to kick back with a wine. And if someone listening to this does want to do that, go ahead. But it's not self-care. Self-care is doing exercise, doing meditation, taking medication if you need, seeing a psychologist, being gentle on yourself. I don't love the timing, to be totally honest, because I think it's riding the wave of our conversations about self-care to sell a mask for my vagina. 
Yeah, I agree. The other thing I want to touch on is that I get frustrated when companies sell self-care as if it's some type of like women's charity, that they're doing women such a like a decent favor and they're helping women out out of the goodness of their hearts. Like, no, this is a business and it's a business that's probably capitalizing on the shame that women are born with. I want to read you out this Awa Madawi quote in The Guardian that I thought was really bang on for what's happening here. She wrote about vagifacial masks and also vaginal shame last year. And she wrote, women have been conditioned to think their bodies are dirty or a normal since the beginning of time. The rise of wellness has seen a boom in products like vaginal wipes designed to fix problems that don't exist. I love that because I think it's true. I think women are born into a world where they are constantly in a mind frame of needing to tweak things and perfect things and make themselves better or make themselves more correct than the way they were born. I don't think that pressure is on men. I don't think men start from a platform of I am wrong, I need to spend money to fix it. No, but that's because there's no market for kind of dick face masks like when are you going to see that in the same way remember that we had this exact conversation a few months ago when we were talking about Gwyneth Paltrow's vagina candle a vagina scented candle Mm. and we were like in what world would there be a penis scented candle genuinely like as a serious highbrow product I also want to take issue Mish with another line on their website because Vic Femme have written offering a nurturing range of wellness-oriented skincare that not only supports self-confidence, encourages women to take control of their individual intimate health needs. You touched on health at the very start of this, and I think it's one thing to be talking about confidence and self-care, but it's another entirely to be talking about intimate health needs. You're absolutely right. If we want to have a conversation about intimate health needs, let's talk about vaginismus and vulvodynia and endometriosis, and let's actually break open that taboo because that's a far more uncomfortable conversation than a face mask. I don't understand how we got here. I don't understand how they got here to a conversation about health. Yeah, and I think this has been a frustration of Dr. Jen Gunter. She's the author of the Gyna Bible. She's also a really famous, well-renowned gynecologist who has taken the aim multiple times at Goop and Gwyneth Paltrow for how they have perpetuated vagina shame. But she wrote about this last year as well. She wrote about the idea that you need to maximize the health of your vagina or your vagina as is is dirty and in need of correction. She wrote, I don't think about my vagina at all, and I'm a gynecologist. If I don't have a symptom, I don't think about it. Just like if I don't have a symptom in my knee, I don't think about my knee. Your vagina as it is, is fine. If you have a medical concern, seek out medical advice. But for the love of God, do not go spending your hard-earned money on something that doesn't correct an issue that you have. Like, if it's not broken, don't fix it. Yeah, and I think while we can joke or people can say, okay, but it's harmless, like it's just a face mask for your vagina, I disagree. Between 2015 and 2016, there was a 39% increase in labiaplasty surgeries in the US, according to Dr. Jen Gunter. Discourse like this and products like this make women feel like there's something acutely wrong with their anatomy and their body. And I think for me, like, this is by no means new, Mish, like this hijacking of words like or buzzwords like self-care and empowerment and wellness to push expensive products to women they don't need and preying on insecurities they may not have actually had until you launch this product into market. But I feel like it's no less tiring. Like, I feel like it's such a tried and tested formula, this empowerment, self-care, health product we don't need. And I'm tired of the many ways that companies are inferring bodies 
aren't perfect and need to be fixed. Absolutely. I have more quotes. This one's from Fiona Sturgis in The Guardian. Again, I feel like The Guardian does such good work in pushing back on vagina shame. She wrote last year, women are avoiding cervical smears out of shame. The demand for labiaplasty among teenage girls is rising and the vaginal hygiene business is booming despite one of the many miracles of vaginas is that they are self cleaning. You touched on before that rising stat about the number of women seeking out cosmetic genital surgery, Zara, but I also want to bring this in from Australia. A 2016 survey of 443 Aussie GPs found that one third of those GPs have seen patients aged below 18 seeking treatment to trim or shape their genitalia. So we're talking about young girls, young girls who feel like they're being born wrong, young girls who feel like they're not going to please their male partners. And it is male partners. I know we touched on at the beginning, we touched on the issue of trans women, but also I don't think gay women are experiencing this. And that's been another really interesting point that Dr. Jane Gunter has explored, that vaginal shame is very tightly linked with being straight. She wrote in her book, I see so few gay women who are vulnerable to vaginal shame. In fact, I can remember just one, simply because gay women see all kinds of vaginas and vulvas. And this is the thing that I find really interesting because I feel like products pushed about vaginas is relatively modern. I think Gwyneth Paltrow definitely spearheaded the movement with kind of her vaginal steaming and her kind of, what else has she done? Little jade eggs and things like that. And it's come at an interesting time because I read that Awa Madawi piece in The Guardian 2, Mish, and I loved it because she wrote, there may be money in shame, but there's also a lot of cash in vaginal celebration. Reproductive rights have been top of mind in the Trump era. Vaginas like the pink pussy hats at the Women's March have become a symbol of resistance. And then, of course, there's the fact that a certain type of corporate feminism has become very fashionable. The amazing thing about Paltrow is that she's capitalised on both vaginal shame and celebration. She's built a completely symbiotic vagina economy. I think that this face mask comes in at the perfect time, at a time where there is a vagina economy, where we're both celebrating the vagina as an act of resistance, as she wrote, but it's also laced with shame because we're telling women that they have stuff on their vagina, wrinkles, ageing that need to be fixed. And this is the tricky thing, right? If anyone's listening to this who doesn't just want to get the vagina mask, like we said before, but maybe wants to get labiaplasty or is looking into getting genital cosmetic surgery, There is no shame in that. Like, I'm not judging you for that. I think women should be able to get whatever work they want to get done. But I do wonder, is there an added level here? Like, is there an extra layer that comes with labiaplasty that does make us frame it differently to other cosmetic surgeries? Like, I'm just not sure if I speak about this specific surgery as I would other ones. I just struggle with it more internally and I'm not quite sure why. Maybe it is that I feel like it's very much pertaining to the male gaze and I just can't move past that but I do feel incredibly strongly about this one surgery when I don't about others. Well I feel strongly about the fact that women under the 18 anyway are consulting doctors about any part of their body that they don't feel is perfect like I would much prefer uh, an older more mature woman to make that decision rather than a teenager who is still kind of coming into their own and trying to work out who they are in the world. Yeah, I think that's bang on. I think what I'm considering is that across the world, we see so many women put through female genital mutilation, FGM, and it's an incredible crisis for women everywhere. And that is part of the male gaze. And then we have this juxtaposition of women here in Australia, the UK, the US, choosing to put themselves through that and wondering, is that a choice or is it being largely influenced by what they think they have to live up to? 
I wanted to finish, Mish, with a quote from Dr. Jen Gunter. If you're not following her on Twitter or Instagram, please do. She is incredible at debunking this stuff. She wrote in an interview about her book, there's this false idea that the vagina is always one wrong pair of underwear away from mayhem. Or one sheet mask, apparently. Yeah, or one sheet mask. Hey, I think that's all we've got time for today. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you for listening to this episode of Shameless. We are so appreciative of your support. If you would like to support us and the show, we are, of course, an independent podcast we don't have the backing of a network so the number one way to support shameless is to tell a friend about it either text them this episode and tell them to listen if they're bored working from home or share it on your instagram stories take a screenshot of your app or show us how you listen whether that's baking at home going for a walk with your dog doing whatever you're doing today doing whatever you're doing which in the case of you or i is not much if you want to join our book club we do have a facebook group shameless podcast book club and our pick for the month of august is the yield by tara june winch so get your hands on that book in whichever way you can and we will be chatting about it in the facebook group and on a podcast episode towards the end of the month we will be back in your ears on thursday bye Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.